0: If you'd like to be notified about each week's episode of Autism Stories, we suggest you subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. We would also appreciate it if you could give us a positive rating and review, as it will help others to learn about Autism Stories. This is, I believe, episode 126 of Autism Stories, and for... This podcast, or I think just about any podcast, they're bound to be themes that develop when there have been that many episodes. One of the biggest themes uh, for this podcast has been women that aren't diagnosed until they are adults. That's definitely got me to think more about issues relating to women and how I can share these issues and stories on this podcast. One of those issues specifically is relating to the menstrual cycle and how periods look and feel like and how to manage hygiene and pain for autistics. That's why I'm thrilled to talk with Robin Stewart today, who wrote the book, The Autism-Friendly Guide to Periods. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. Robin, thanks so much for joining us on Autism Stories today.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Wanted to start out like I do with so many of these episodes and learn where does your story in the autistic community begin?
1: Well, I guess from when I was born, I suppose. Um, obviously, I've always been autistic. Both my parents are autistic, uh, although they don't have diagnoses. But that's like that's how they choose to identify. That hasn't come from me. They are just. Through me, they gradually realised that actually they both have autism. As do um, my granddad, uh, who passed away recently, and my mum's mum. Uh, so it's yeah, it runs in both of our, in both of my parents' families. Um, I first got interested in sort of adv- advocacy. I don't really like saying self advocacy because. I feel like a lot of my work is not really about me because I'm just one person but um, more I guess autism advocacy so trying to advocate. um, Obviously I can't speak or advocate for all autistic people because obviously I am still just one person but I put a lot of effort into trying to understand the wider autism community and you know to try and reflect that in the different roles that I'm that i'm in so when i say autism advocacy i'm not trying to say that i represent all autistic people but just that i don't just represent myself because i think it's really important to recognize that you know like i'm a i'm a speaking person but there's a lot of people who you know are are, um Semi-verbal or or semi-speaking or non-speaking, um, and you know it's really important to amplify their voices. And there's that film that I'm sure you've seen that's uh, been on YouTube. Listen, uh, I think it's called, and uh, that that was in in response to Cis, you know, film about. Um, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to say non-speaking or uh, non-verbal. I think it's non-speaking now. So I apologise if I'm not using the right terminology but uh, to me what's important is to point people to those resources made by you know by people that that issue affects because it's really important that you know that we are allies of one another and that we try to amplify one another's voices. Um, I guess I got interested in that stuff when I was about 17 and what interested me was because I was getting bullied in college, uh, further education college, so kind of like community college in the US. and I wasn't, um, I was told that I was bringing it on myself and I didn't really understand. And then I read about theory of mind and I was like, oh, okay, so actually I don't really understand the non-autistic people and they don't understand me. Um, And so actually what would probably help is if I could uh, teach them about autism and they could teach me about non-autistic people. So that kind of, um, it not being like, well, I'm just going to tell you about autism. But like, for me personally, I felt like I... I need to adapt because because most of the people I'm interacting with are non-autistic people. Um, And you know, whilst I I don't think that non-autistic people should always decide the rules, um, sometimes you know, to get a job done you just have to sort of, you know, lump it, (laughs) you know. They say like it or lump it, you just got to sort of get on with it. Um, And I could see that, uh, you know, I just didn't have the skills the non-autistic people did. Um, and so, yeah, so that's kind of where I got interested in it, um, because I could see that that was an issue I'd had all through school that I just didn't understand non-autistic people. I didn't even know that that could be an issue. So for me, I, like I know that some, sometimes theory of mind is spoken about in a really like negative way, but I don't actually think it is a negative way. And I think Damien Milton makes a really important point about the, um, double empathy problem because I do think that non-autistic people have trouble understanding autistic people and vice versa. But I think we all have a responsibility to try our best to understand each other and I think that that is a a human thing and I don't think it really necessarily has anything to do with autism. I think it's just as humans to make the planet work we need to try and understand each other, try and understand our planet, try and understand other animals within it. And I think that sort of cohesion of us all working together is really important, and that's kind of what inspired me to get involved.
0: You've written uh, three books, but the book I really wanted to talk with you today about is the Autism-Friendly Guide to Periods. What was your inspiration in in writing this book?
1: Well, you know, I actually wanted to write, um, so it was my second book, and I went to Jessica Kingsley Publishers, my publisher, and I, I wanted to write a book about gender, because I'd met so many people who identify as non-binary, but not—I don't mean that as in non-binary, as in the gender. What I mean is that I've, I've met a lot of autistic people who, you know, say identify as trans or gender queer or non-binary, you know, as a gender identity, and so I could, I, f- I felt though strongly that often. um, you know, when I was going to parent groups and giving talks and stuff, that people would get very mixed up with sexuality and gender. And they were really often really trying really hard, but they were like, they just didn't really get it. And I think that if you, you know, it's like that, um, that thing about, you know, like sometimes people ask gay people, when, when, when did you decide to be, uh, you know, when did you decide you were gay? And they were like, "Well, when did you decide you were straight?" You know, like it's like it's an inbuilt thing; you don't choose it. Um, which obviously makes a parallel with autism as well, because we don't we don't choose that. You are what you are, in it. So, um, so I wanted to write something that would try to help the general population to, because I, I like I'm a cis woman, and I kind of thought maybe it would help to have someone like me to write something that might help the wider world understand it. Um, I just thought it might be helpful, um, but JKP, like, I mean, the, the, obviously the, the, that, you know, could could look negatively on me because, you know, because you don't want non-autistic people writing about what it's like to be autistic, um, and the, the way that I approach my books is that I always do quite a lot of research, and it's not about me, but it's about other people's experience and reflecting that, um. And so it—it certainly, I'm not trying to say that I'd want to write a book that was about genders that aren't my own, about my own opinions about it. Uh, It would be more that I wanted to reflect the autism community's experience and try and maybe explain some of the things that confuse other people um, and to try and help people just better understand it. Um, But JKP kind of steered me away from that and suggested periods, which to be honest, I wasn't that thrilled about it because I thought that, it was, you know, a bit boring because, like, well, it's a biological function in it. I mean, it's, it is what it is. And I didn't really, I guess I didn't think about it in a particularly in-depth way. But I started the research and I asked 100 autistic people who have periods about their experience and 100 non-autistic people who have periods about their experience. And what I found was that um, a lot of autistic people really needed a lot of... Um, They really needed the alternatives to tampons and pads. So there's lots of alternative um, blood collection methods uh, or period products. Um, There's been a move away from saying sanitary products because that suggests that a period is dirty. And obviously a period isn't dirty, it's a biological function. So uh, a lot of autistic people find the sensory issues with tampons and menstrual um, pads very problematic. And cloth pads, menstrual cups and... um, Uh, period underwear were, like, real lifesavers for a lot of people. I mean, maybe they didn't literally save their life, but they helped them to manage sensory issues, which in turn helped them to be able to go on about, you know, their everyday life, Um, you know, just... I mean, obviously they still have a period and there's lots more to it, but it made life so much easier um, being able to recognise that you had sensory issues and being able to address them. Um, And then I started to, like, really... Uh, do a sort of literature review of the books out there and first thing I found was that they were all quite gendered and obviously if you're trans you could you could identify as a trans man but you could still have periods uh, or if you were intersex you might not identify as male or female um, and you could still have periods so being non-binary or genderqueer and so I felt like it would be important to have a gender neutral book about periods so that people could see themselves within it. And also, um, none of them had photos of what a period looked like. And I'm sure you've seen on TV, you know, the adverts with the blue liquid and, you know, that comes out for B care. That is not what a period is like in real life. It is not blue. I've never had a blue period, and nobody else reported having a blue period either. Um, so I, I was like, well, this is ridiculous. Like, why, why aren't there pictures? Like, because another thing that came through the research, both for the non-autistic and the autistic participants, was that sometimes they hadn't had a lot of information given to them about periods um and like they didn't really know what to expect and so sometimes they were frightened or if the period didn't look the way they were expecting it to look that was frightening and could be very overwhelming and obviously you know your period starts somewhere between the age of 8 and uh 16 and so you know, potentially a very young girl could be experiencing periods and that could be a very scary thing because they have less life experience than, say, a 15-year-old starting their periods. Um, and, yeah, it can be quite an overwhelming thing. So it seemed important that that people reading the book would be able to see what a period actually looks like and uh, and also, like, to maybe take some of the fear out of it um, hopefully f- from that from seeing well this is what it looks like and maybe it doesn't look as scary you know when you just see it on a book page um, and I developed a flap system so that there's all the images are on grids and then there's a series of flaps that you can cut out and you can put them over the grid and so you can control how much of an image or if you see an image at all and um, you can so you're more in control um, the other thing was, Sort of understanding the female anatomy, and uh, I don't know if any of your listeners have watched um, *Orange Is the New Black*, Um, but there is an episode within that, um, maybe even a couple of episodes, where um, there's a a trans character, Mm -hmm. and she explains to everyone how you know you have a urethra, which is where your pee comes out of, and then you have a vagina, and that's basically that's where your period comes out of and that's where a man would put his penis if you were going to have sex with a man or you could put a dildo or I mean there's a lot of other things you could put in a vagina but basically and a lot of people within that that scene didn't know that they had a urethra and a vagina Like they didn't know there were two separate holes and I do think that that is reflective of you know that there is a lot of people that because it's for a lot of people it's so embarrassing to talk about, and so they don't have the knowledge, the, the words, and so if you don't have the words to say something, then if in the future you ever need to talk to your doctor, well, you know, your reefer and your vagina, you're sorry urethra and vagina are two separate holes with two separate jobs so if you have a problem with one of them it's important to know which one it is that you have a problem with and being able to communicate that um and so that was something else that I felt like well you know a lot of these books are a bit um you know a bit non-concrete non-explicit is maybe the wrong word in this context but you know just for autistic people it's really important to just say how it is and be like well you've got three holes here they are this is what they look like this is what they do this is where they are um obviously everybody's body is different but um you know your urethra comes before your vagina and then you've got your vagina and then obviously between your bum cheeks you've got your anus um so to have that vocabulary would mean that people would be able to ask for help potentially but also understand information given to them um one of my research participants said that someone had told them to put a tampon up bum and you don't put a tampon up your anus you put it in your vagina but this poor person had tried to put it up their anus and that's obviously very painful um because you've got a membrane, like the anus is one way, and you've got this membrane, and so if you try and put a tampon inside it, you're going to tear the membrane. That's going to hurt, um, and it also is not going to do its job in your anus because the blood is coming out of your vagina. So, um, so that so that you know those kind of things really inspired me to want to be able to, I guess, help people to better understand their bodies, and also to. Um, to just yeah create something that was gender neutral because that seemed like something that nobody else really had done and it seemed so important I also met this um guy during my research um called Cass I can't remember what his surname is but Cass had created uh Cass is trans openly trans and he'd created um he'd done a lot of Like advocacy work around that, you know, as a trans man, he has periods, and so it was, you know, he did a lot of advocacy work around what it's not just people that identify as girls and women who have periods, Um, and uh, also he'd create this coloring book that was about different um, blood collection methods, and I found his work really inspiring.
0: Hmm. Now. Just like so many things in life, I'd imagine that there's executive functioning challenges relating to menstruation. Visuals and step-by-step guides can be helpful with lots of these challenges. I'm wondering though, do you have suggestions on how to better deal with um, executive functioning for folks in this area?
1: Yeah, I mean, so with the the period particularly, um, like you said, step-by-step, Um, I think it's really important when people are developing visuals, like there are visuals in the book, so if you want step-by-step guides, they're there. And there's also um, some step-by-step guides for like menstrual cups and um, tampons. And it explains how... It always confused me, the uh, cross-section diagram of the um, womb and ovaries and vagina, that always confused me. And then I realised how they'd got there. So there's a page that explains how you've got the 3D model, it's like face on, and then you turn it to the side, and then you essentially chop the model down the middle. Now, obviously, you're not actually, it's not a person, it's a 3D model. <laughs> no one's hurt in this situation. Um, but it's, you know, that, that's how you get that image. So there are step-by-steps. The other thing um, that's important for people to bear in mind when they're creating step-by-step visuals for autistic people is that a lot of autistic people struggle with flipping images in their head. So, um, so normally when you look at a book... Um, like my right hand would be the person in the book's left hand and so um, so to try and follow along something mm. can be quite difficult especially if the image is like front on now I can understand why they would draw it front on but I felt like actually that could be really confusing for autistic people and I just got the photographer to um, shoot over my shoulder I mean he wasn't actually shooting anything he was taking photos over my shoulder as I was doing each step I also felt like I'm not, you know, I'm not very thin. I'm quite cuddly, and I felt like it was important that um, that the the image uh, of the person who is like changing the pad and stuff that that was more representative. Because often, you know, in books, it's like someone who's really thin, and I don't think anyone could say I was really thin. I'm a bit cuddly, so I also felt like it's important that you can recognise yourself in it. Um, and uh, some, so sometimes autistic people need photos of themselves sometimes it's okay to have a photo of someone else uh, sometimes it's alright to have a cartoon like it depends on the person um, during the research for the book I visited the Kent Autistic Trust and they told me about something called the Literacy Continuum which is about how people understand information and uh, the what they told me was that Objects are something that everybody can understand. Now obviously I'm writing a book so I can't really include objects in the book because that would make the book too expensive. Um, The next thing is photos with the person whom you're trying to help to learn something in the photo again obviously I can't do that because this book is being sold all around the world and I'm not going to know all of those people that would be impossible to make a personalised book for each person that was reading the book that would be impractical and then so the next level was having somebody else in the photo so in all of those photos you don't see my face, Um, it's not that you can't see my face, there are pictures in the book of my face but in the step by step it's those specifically over my shoulder so that you can put the book on the floor in the loo and you can do it so my right hand will be your right hand Um, and that's you know that's obviously for for me anyway that was important. Um, A lot of autistic people did talk about executive functioning being an issue um, obviously with the period products but also um, if people experience PMS premenstrual syndrome um, sometimes it can be called PMT premenstrual tension Um, and also uh, it's important to be aware that some people have um, PMDD which is premenstrual dysphoric disorder uh, which is like acute depression just before your period so after you ovulate and what marks it out or what makes it different from depression is that it it goes away once your period has started it might take a day or two but you know it goes away whereas obviously depression doesn't go away just because your period started normally but PMDD is a specific disorder and if you have PMDD do go and speak to your family doctor your GP because um, there are things you can do to help Um, like you might be able to have medication at that time of month Um, you might want to look at contraception Um, even if you're not um, sexually active or you're not sexually active with the opposite sex um, you might it's weird that they say that if you're not Basically, if if you um, if if you have a womb and fallopian tube and ovaries and a vagina and you're not having sex with people that have a penis uh, and you don't, so you don't, you wouldn't have to worry about getting pregnant. Um, you might still want to use contraception, like the oral contraceptive pill, uh, because it will help to manage your hormones uh, because periods are very governed by hormones. So there are a few times within. A month where you might have problems with executive functioning, and uh, a lot of autistic people did talk about that. Um, and people, I mean, mostly people just talked about like. Uh, sort of trying to have us you know sort of planning out when it was so maybe using apps like Clue for example which is a uh, menstrual cycle planning app and I think it's important to see the whole cycle not just the period there's four other parts to the cycle and understanding the emotional and physical symptoms of each of those parts is really important I think for for people to have that knowledge and also to know that um yeah for lots of people they have a four week cycle but that's not everyone and it changes quite a lot you know like sometimes you might have a five week cycle sometimes it might be six weeks you might miss a period and if you're worried you should talk to your family doctor not you know don't don't feel like you're um, wasting their time it's really important that if there's a change and you're not sure about it that you talk to them because um, you know it's better if, if there is if you do have an issue um, like for example polycystic ovaries it's much better to Uh, get treatment early on and also just to build up that relationship with the GP. Um, So definitely being aware and like working out when your sort of executive functioning is Um, most impaired by your menstrual cycle is a really good thing to do and then you know might be trying to schedule that particular week or that two-week period so that you have less demands within it Um, you might find using more visuals like so when you're when you have good executive functioning creating some visuals of how to do different things Um, i yeah so i've sort of recently discovered this that actually I can do loads of cooking in a couple of days and then I don't have to do any cooking for a week so if I knew I was going to have a week where my executive functioning was going to be impaired then it would make sense for me to reduce my executive functioning task by not having to cook but having had you know having cooked already and then also that takes away the the having to make a choice about what you're going to eat because I'll just eat whatever's in the freezer and you know, it's whatever comes out first. Um, so I do think that, yeah, like I said, you know, it's really important to figure out when it is that you have problems with executive functioning and where possible put strategies in or to um, avoid the executive functioning load within that time period.
0: In, in talking with autistics that have periods, I've definitely heard about sensory issues that may arise. What are some, you know, some common sensory issues that might occur in menstruation and any strategies to kind of minimize this discomfort?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. Um, the thing people talk to me most about um, was when they were using blood collection products or, or um, period products like um, tampons and, um, you know, pads. Because like with a pad, it can feel a bit damp. When you bleed onto it, if it gets full, the same, I mean, even if it's not full, it also, they stink when you open them, they smell all plasticky. Um, I mean, obviously it depends a bit on the brand, but lots of people did say, you know, yeah, they smell and they feel all plasticky. um, And with tampons, you know... You shouldn't feel a tampon when it's inside you, um, but you can often feel the muscles. So your vagina is a tube of muscle, and obviously the tampon is in there, and it's expanding as it as it fills with blood. Uh, so so that obviously is it's a sort of ongoing situation, if you like, and so that can cause problems in terms of sensory stimuli. And then then you've got to take it out, and it's you know, it's not um it's not especially pleasant, and you might you know have you know a bit of uh, blood coming out of you after that and then you then you have to clear it up and that can be um I sometimes wonder whether some of these sensory issues are worse for young people because they've got the added anxiety of have when they're at school having to work in this small space to like deal with these issues um that but that's purely speculation that it's not like I I haven't done any research into that but the thing I do 100% know about is that people definitely said that blood collection methods period products um did cause lots of sensory issues and that's why period underwear menstrual cups and cloth pads were so important for people
0: Now, for our listeners that want to learn more information about the Autism-Friendly Guide to Periods or to purchase uh, the book as well, how would they go about doing so? Uh,
1: Well, if you're in the UK, you can buy a signed copy from my website, which is www.robinsteward.com, which is spelled R-O-B-Y-N. S T E W A R D dot com. So it's Robin, like the bird, but instead of an I, it's got a Y and Steward. uh, So not Stewart, Steward. So it's like stew um, and then Ard. So it's like cooking a stew and then half of an aardvark at the end <laughs> <laughs> the beginning of an aardvark odd um so yeah so it's um yeah it's com. if you're in the u.s uh, any of the like book retailers like um uh like uh, oh it's completely gone out of my head um i yeah um i want to say borders but that's uh, barnes and noble that's it yeah barnes and noble uh obviously amazon if you're in canada uh bookstores like Chapters or Amazon. Uh, If you're in Australia, the distributor is Footprint Books and the same for New Zealand.
0: Great. Now you have book number four coming out, I believe, and this is another book that I'm really interested in, um, being an entrepreneur myself, um, talking about entrepreneurship. Can you tell our listeners a little bit um, about this book?
1: Uh, yeah, sure. Um, I think it's actually my third book. Um, it's called The Autism-Friendly Guide to Self-Employment. And it is about self-employment. But it's self-employment from a really wide perspective. That um, There's a lot of people, obviously autistic people, who aren't in work. Um, and there's a lot of people who have like a limited capacity to work. Um, You know, like, for example, I don't mean that in any of dis—I I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. I mean that there are some people, for example, who can't work full time. They need to work part time or they need to work in a really flexible way. Maybe they're managing other conditions as well as being on the spectrum. Um, So I I don't mean that in any disrespect at all. But there's just, there are autistic people for whom they need a more flexible way of working and self-employment can be that. Um, There's also people who, um, during the research I met this um, one guy who uh, has cerebral palsy and he uh, he's nonverbal, He uses PECs uh, to communicate, picture exchange system. And he uh, I think he's in his late twenties or early thirties. And he ha- because of his physical needs, he has twenty-four hour care. Um, and rather than go to a day centre or just sit around at home, he actually runs a business doing deliveries. And now he's doing uh, making greeting cards because of COVID, um, because that means he's out in the community. And I think that there's something about for me anyway changing the sort of expectation of a person just being a service user to someone being a service provider Uh, so you can still be a service user but you know people just being part of the community and I think that um you know it a a few years ago there was that conversation I don't remember where it came from and I mean to me it was very painful but it, it I think it came from Autism Speaks and it was about autistic people being burdens and uh, you know, obviously that is a very negative way of looking at autis- autism. And to me it you know, self-employment seems like a way that people can, you know show themselves to the world because I think that a lot of people struggle to understand, autism, they might not know much about it. But I think that one of the ways that we help reduce stigma is by autistic people being very visible. And it's not necessarily about the label, because actually, you know, it's not like you're going to walk around with a sign on your head that says, hi, I'm autistic. Um, But it's more about just helping people to accept that there's a wide range of people within society. And I think that that benefits us all. It's the same with, um, you know, gender. Like now it's becoming common to see gender-neutral toilets. Um, but not that long ago, that wasn't particularly common. So uh, that, I mean, that's important Um but I think just in, in general, you know, like it's not that long ago since um, there's a, there was a film made about it called Silent Minority in the UK. It's not that long ago that people were put in institutions. And I guess it's the same is true of um, America and Canada, although I know less of the history there. But it is really important to just, you know, be aware that just be different people being in the community it's the same with mental health um you know just having a wide range of people because I think that helps everyone to understand each other better I mean I live in London and one of the things I love about London is that um, I'm around lots of different cultures lots of different languages lots of different food lots of different styles of dress and for me I love that because I I think that that's just a really enriching environment to be in um, but where I come from I grew up in a small village in Suffolk uh, and they're rural and uh, you know the, the, within their village everyone's white <laughs> there's you know um, and it's for me I, I find that really um, it makes me a bit uncomfortable um, because I'm like but there's you know like we I know that the UK is an island well England's an island but we should be, you know, like, what, why do, like, the, if we have a lot of borders and we don't mix with other people, then, then it creates stigma and misunderstanding, and actually, as a world, we would be much better off if we just all talk to each other and work together, and so for me, being in London, um, somewhere that's, like, really cosmopolitan and really, you know, just lots of different people all together, I think that that's really important to me um and so i think with people being self employed you see a lot of different people so that i guess that's why i would like to encourage so that autistic people are just you know out in the world doing things they enjoy um but also there weren't really books that were about uh people doing things that they enjoy for their work and that's why they wanted to be self employed so there was a lot of people who were very focused on making money which you know i'm not saying that that's a bad thing that's that's fine but um there were a lot of people like myself who became self employed because we wanted to do something we were really passionate about and there wasn't there weren't that many books on that um there were a few about creative people um but that was kind of it you know there wasn't but there's a lot more out there you know like um during the research i met this guy called jeremy samson and he is a um personal trainer and he works specifically with autistic People um to develop personal training programs for them, as uh, and then I met um some people who uh, two brothers who run um a comic book shop, uh well it's not a comic book shop like <laughs> it's a bookshop they sell comics they're called niche comics they sell comics and they sell books, um but uh yeah um maybe the emphasis on those words was in the wrong place there but um and I met uh yeah I met a range of people and they weren't necessarily in creative industries um but they were doing all kinds of things and they were you know passionate about it um and during the research i met lots and lots of people and there was only one person i met who was like really focused on money and i'm not saying that that's a bad thing um you know each to your own and everything but just that i i wanted to write something that would help people also there was nothing out there really that dealt with the benefit system and certainly nothing out there that Dealt with the benefit system for self-employed people in five countries. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like in all the countries I visited, I went and looked through their self-employment, but, and they were just very little. Um, and actually, there's a lot of people who start a business from nothing, and they might well use the benefit system. And I think that there's sometimes a bit snobbery about that, but actually, you know, the the point of the benefit system, you know, is to support people, and ultimately it's much better to have people in work who are able to work because it means you know that they're going to cost the state less money but also that they're doing something that's you know um work is good for your mental health so that's gonna ultimately help the system to save money because they treat less mental illness if people are able to work um and obviously that frees up because that's not going to work for everyone that frees up resources for people that work is not possible or whose mental health hasn't been improved by working so I think it's like it's a win-win and it was something uh, that was inspired by a chat I had with a friend uh, called Nicholas who's like one of my oldest friends and he had just become self-employed and I felt like I I know he's not autistic and I I know quite a lot about being self-employed but I don't want to sit there and preach at him and uh, so I thought well if I wrote it in a book and I did some more research then I could help more people Um, and then yeah and then it's there if he wants to use it or if anyone else wants to use it Um, and for me you know I really hope that um, it will be useful and like because I know that both the other two books have been useful to people so my fingers are crossed that this will also be useful to people, and people might even be able to start their own businesses from it.
0: And when is this book going to be released?
1: Uh, comes out July 21st, 2021.
0: All right. Well, I will definitely be on the lookout for that. Um, thanks so much, Robin, for joining us today and uh, talking about been. this important subject.
1: Thanks very much for having me.
0: Thanks so much to Robin Stewart for the conversation. To learn more about Robin's book, The Autism-Friendly Guide to Periods, and to purchase it, check out the link in the podcast description of this episode. If you'd like to learn beyond this podcast how Autism Personal Coach can help coach you to reduce your daily overwhelm and to get the things you want and need in your life, then book a Zoom call with me today. A link to Book the Call can be found in the podcast description of this episode. If you would like to be notified about each week's episode of Autism Stories, we suggest you subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. We would also appreciate it if you could give us a positive rating and review, as it will help others to learn about Autism Stories. On next week's episode of Autism Stories, we will have a conversation with a high school valedictorian. Until next time, I'm Doug Bletcher of Autism Personal Coach. Talk to you then.